0: all right my name is nick welcome to my first ever podcast i've got today with me jalal khan who's a become a friend of mine over the last few months i think the i guess our first interaction was i sent jalal a message on instagram replying to a post that he made on energy and information in food and uh he said give me your phone number and the next thing we were having a conversation on the phone so that's the kind of person jalal is um he can tell you a little bit about his background. Jalal is a dentist. Um, he's also a quantum health clinician. So I'll pass over to him from there and we'll uh, we'll see what he's got to say on that.
1: So I started as a dentist and still am one. But, uh, well, firstly, thank thanks for having me, Nick. And uh, it's a, a pleasure to be uh, your first guest on your podcast. And um, prayers that it is a successful podcast that helps you achieve um your goals and what you want to achieve in life and i'm sure it'll be a big learning curve um for you as you talk to different clinicians and different minds in the space of um health and energy and, and many other topics so um congratulations on starting your podcast and um yeah on to me uh i'm a i'm a dentist that did formal training at sydney university and uh i've been practicing for 10 years but uh, realized about three four years ago that uh there's got to be more to dentistry than just fillings and crowns and focusing on teeth um a it can be it can get boring after a while if that's all you're doing and um and b because uh i guess part of my nature is that i just want to do my best for my patients um and uh if i know there's more out there and if i don't know it the curious the curious person in me keeps on digging until i find the answers so um, I went digging and discovered this area of dentistry called airway dentistry which is an understanding of the fact that the growth and development of jaws has a huge impact on the size and patency of the airway that sits behind the tongue and most of us know that if we have struggles breathing while we are sleeping that can have huge impacts on sleep quality which has severely detrimental impacts on health in the long run. So airway dentistry was it for a couple of years. And uh, I was doing a deep dive into things like sleep apnea and upper airway resistance syndrome and started to treat a lot of patients. And some of the patients I was getting really great results with, with some of the appliances that I was using. And other patients with a similar presentation to potentially patient A, we're not getting as good results. And so I was kind of scratching my head thinking, what's going on here? These two patients are so similar in how they're presenting clinically, but the results are different. And I wouldn't call it like a, a mistake on my part. It's just more, I guess, um, ignorance more than anything else that there's a bigger picture to sleep than just uh, breathing and jaws. And um, I think many in the dental airway medicine space kind of or dental sleep medicine space just think that jaws are the be all and end all and no doubt they have an important role to play but there's a much bigger there's a much bigger factor to to sleep than just jaws and breathing and um, that is light and mitochondrial health and hormones and the way that we are living the lifestyle and uh, so that took me down this whole rabbit hole of how light impacts the way that our body functions, the way that our hormones function, and I was lucky enough to come across Dr. Jack Cruz um, a couple of years ago. And uh, when I first heard him, it was like a it was like a slap in the face in a good way because he's borderline brutal in the way that he delivers the message. But I think we need to be like that when we're trying to break paradigms and and push forward with what is the real truth. And so I'm forever grateful for what he has put together and pieced together, um, piecing together bits and pieces from biology, biochemistry, and biophysics to, into this kind of movement of quantum medicine or quantum health where we're really looking at the body at a quantum scale. And all this was kind of alongside me trying to heal um, my wife from some chronic illnesses that she was uh, struggling with they weren't too bad but if left untouched it was going to head down the road of um some you know serious things like um diabetes and uh, autoimmunity and all these types of things so we went to see several special specialists in the western medic in western medicine space endocrinologists hematologists gastroenterologists etc and all of them had no idea what was going on. And it just uh, flabbergasted me that these guys are specialists and can't work out how to lift up iron levels in someone who's low in iron and how to reverse um, thyroid issues, et cetera, et cetera. And so I kind of took it upon myself, me being the loving husband that I am, to uh, to think, well, I get the jargon So I'm going to go and study and and see if I can um, piece this together for YV. And um, things are starting to turn around for her, which is great. It's a vindication of the fact that quantum health really is the approach that is um, holistic, understands the body's role, um, understands the the role of the environment in in underpinning how the body works. And uh, it's a very exciting time. For me personally, but I think also an exciting time for society at large because we sit on the doorstep of a quantum revolution, not only in health but in awareness about the forces that underpin living. And um, it's just uh, I'm grateful to have learnt everything that I've learnt, and also to to share it with your listeners.
0: Very cool. <clears throat> so I've got a couple of questions for you straight off the bat from there. So I guess. The first question on my end would probably be, you mentioned thyroid sort of issues. So is that along the lines of Hashimoto's or something like similar to that, if you don't mind my asking?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so it was um, Hashimoto's, but it was um, classified by the endocrinologist as a subclinical Hashimoto's and then said that because it's subclinical, there's nothing that we can do. And I'm just like, surely we can't just give up that easily. Um, so, But there's other types of thyroid conditions out there as well. And sometimes it's just an underactive thyroid, um, which ties in with things like uh fertility and um early neural development um inside uh inside babies um for the first I think eight to ten weeks. Um so I mean thyroid is critical for anyone that's considering having babies and to supplement with thyroxine is a band aid approach to what the real approach should be, which is fixing the thyroid before we try and fall pregnant.
0: Hmm. <clears throat> and so, my my second question for you would be, and and this is this is probably one that I came up with when I first heard the term quantum health, because it sounds a little bit like a term that you know when you don't know what the word quantum means, it sounds like a cool word, and and you know you're like, why? I, I know quantum's associated with physics, so is this person trying to tell me that physics is somehow associated with our health? Um, is that the case?
1: It is. So, I mean, the word quantum has always scared me. And I think part of it was just more ignorance than anything else. So I googled it. And the word quantum basically means the smallest unit of a system. And so when we're talking about quantum physics, we're talking about the physics of how the smallest units of systems behave. And um, we're dealing with matter. You and I are matter and so that matter is made up of electrons and protons and so electrons and protons are the smallest well they're not the smallest but they're like some of the smallest units in our systems we will not we we won't go into technicalities of other different types of particles etc but we'll keep it simple so electrons and protons the smallest units of matter inside of us and uh the light environment that we expose our bodies to changes how those electrons and protons behave. And so quantum health is really understanding the biophysics that underpins all of the biochemistry and biology that happens inside our body. And it's, it's tough. I mean, like most doctors and health practitioners have spent, you know, five, seven, ten years learning and they've all been learning in the biochemistry stage of of thinking, which is termed reductionist by quantum health clinicians. Um, And the reason it's reductionist is because it's kind of just uh, sticking to kind of a narrow-minded approach to health and not understanding the big picture, which is, I mean, we've spoken about this in the past, um, but we can touch on it soon if you want, things like um, just the fractal nature of the universe and energy and information flows and how that's happening at all levels.
0: Hmm. And so, to to dive a little bit deeper on the term quantum, my understanding is that what you're really inferring is that biology, like everything else, uh, runs on the same principles as the quantum universe. Correct. Spot on. Yeah. And so, what you're saying is, why would we separate physics from biology?
1: That's the that's the question. The answer is, is that we've done that because it's easy to separate the sciences and the and the medical specialties into different specializations, without each of the specializations and disciplines talking to each other, mm. which is necessary because they all interrelate.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, that's kind of a, a a gripe that I've always had, or or since I've been practicing what I do. Um, and you know, my understanding is that. A, a physio or a personal trainer shouldn't offer dietary advice or specific dietary advice to uh, a client. And my understanding is also that tissue is made from collagen and water. And so how can, how can you rejuvenate damaged tissue without the consumption of collagen and water? And yeah. it, it gets far more technical than that, but that's a very surface level topic, right? It's like you're you are you're literally made of, of collagen and water and add some vitamin C to that and all of a sudden you've got uh, the materials to start rejuvenating tissue. And, and, you know, it's been said before and I'll say it again, a disc bulge takes 500 days of healing and you can do all the exercises in the world, but if you're over-consuming coffee and you're uh, – you know, exercising too much or staying up too late at night, you're exposing yourself to non-native EMF and things that dry out tissue, then you're not going to heal that tissue as fast as you potentially could uh, just through exercise.
1: Spot on. And you can accelerate the healing if you change the inputs. So if you did red light therapy and cold therapy, you could have that that 500-day healing period if not faster than that. So that's the power of light. Yeah, and I mean, in response to kind of like, uh, should physios be talking about nutrition, or should dentists be talking about medicine? I mean, there's a there's a funny there's a funny thing that's always said that you know doctors always think that dentists are the doctors that didn't make it into into um into medicine. Um, maybe there's some truth to that, and uh, I have a, I have a a giggle with some of my doctor friends about about that. But uh, at the end of the day, like um, I really couldn't. I really couldn't give a rat's if um, if if I'm giving out nutritional advice because I call it decentralized medicine, and the people that want my opinion, they are judging me not based on my qualifications. They're judging me based on the information that I know and that I show on um on social media and. And uh, in consultations, etc. So they're judging me, I guess, on if we talk uh, Bitcoin terminology on the proof of work rather than the qualifications. And um, and to be to be honest, that's the way that I prefer it. I don't want someone to judge me based on the letters after my name. I want them to judge me on my va- on my values and what they believe I know. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess well, it's um, it's also me knowing what my limits are. As a decentralized yeah. health clinician, and knowing when to refer to another, another colleague, or when to enlist mm-hmm. the help of um, a, a specialist, etc.
0: Mm-hmm. And we had a conversation on that just yesterday. You know, the saying "if in doubt, refer out." Um, we talked a little bit, and and one of my focuses probably before I met you recently was on the work of a guy called Weston A. Price, who has you know he was very foundational in the work in holistic dentistry. If you're a holistic dentist or a health-focused dentist, then you almost certainly know who Weston A. Price is. And I've made a few reels about Price and and some other guys, you know, um, Bill Walcott, who came up with metabolic typing. And Weston A. Price was was sort of this guy who went around and studied native tribes. And I believe his work was done around it's probably more than 50 years ago. Was it back in the 40s or something like that?
1: Yeah, definitely decades ago. It was a long time yeah. ago.
0: And so he he went around and, you know, he was looking at this is something we always come back to is what is what's the root cause of this disease? What's the what's the, you know, and so he was interested in in studying the mouths of of native people, right? People who had um, you know, basically lived in the wild. And he wanted to see if there were differences between them and the patients that he was seeing. And what he found was that the structure of their face, the airway, like you were saying, the teeth um, were basically perfect in almost everyone that he came across unless the teeth had been knocked out or um, they'd, they'd suffered some sort of injury. And so his conclusion was that diet was what formed the facial structure. And he was very focused on vitamins A, E, D, and K. Right, so I believe there was one vitamin that was it. Was it vitamin A?
1: K two was key. K two, yep. K two was key in um, I guess delivering calcium to the uh, right the right tissues. Um, so that was an important vitamin which he came across. Um, the work of Weston Price was was critical because, as you said, he picked up on. The way that the jaws and the dental arches were developing um, in these uh, in these people of native tribes all around the world, including the um, indigenous Australians, and uh, what was what was unique w- compared to the way that we are living now, or the way that we were living when that research was being done, was that um, there was uh, basically no processed foods, and uh, the the food that was being eaten was nutrient dense and it was also stuff which was food that was readily available in the right context so these people were harvesting their food from the local environment so it was um it was there was no environmental mismatch in what they were eating and coupled that with the fact that and this is something which he didn't really pick up on at the time but these people were living with like skin in the game like they weren't wearing much in the way of clothing. They weren't wear, wearing sunglasses. They were grounded all the time. And so, when you remain coupled to your environment and you are eating the right foods that are being made in your environment, and you were chewing those foods rather than having processed foods, you were stimulating jaw growth because, you know, sometimes if you're having a season where the food is higher in fiber, you've got to chew through that. Like, it's, it's hard at work. Um, and, um, and so all of these things resulted in much better jaw development, much better nutrient density uh, coupled with the skin in the game. And uh, it was a paradigm shift in dentistry, um, albeit we picked up on it uh, many years later, but um, we're getting there. And um, I think it was critical. But the one thing which Western A. Price probably uh, didn't know at the time was that all the... All the subjects that he was researching were mitochondriacs, um, and uh, I think that's a important delineation we should make.
0: Mm-hmm. And and what's a mitochondriac?
1: Mitochondriac, as opposed to a hypochondriac, is someone that is passionate about living a life that is in support of optimal mitochondrial function.
0: And what are mitochondria?
1: mitochondria are organelles inside your cell so they're mini organs inside your cell they're inside every cell in the body except the red blood cell and the purpose of the mitochondria is is commonly known to be the fact that they are the power plants inside your cell they produce all the energy but they have another very important function and that is they are environmental sensors so they're sensing the environment and they are Taking those environmental cues and passing that information onto the DNA. And then the DNA is expressing in a particular way based on the environmental cues that they're receiving, that it's receiving from the mitochondria. And so you've got Western medicine that's stuck in this genetics paradigm where everything is about, you know, genetic disorders and everything's genetic and all that type of stuff. But if people were to take a bit of time and understand the mitochondrial genome, we'd have a massive paradigm shift in health outcomes because we'd begin to realize that it's actually the mitochondria and how they operate that determines how the genes are expressed in the DNA.
0: Mm-hmm. And, so, and so from there, I guess without going off on too many different tangents, you get to the study of epigenetics, right? So in the, in the study of epigenetics, they would say, uh that you know you have certain proclivities to certain diseases but it's the environment that determines whether the disease uh shows up or not so you know you you'll see pictures in in price's book and in many other books where they show uh you know twins and one twin will will you know, one twin inevitably develops uh, diseases. They eat different foods. Maybe they get separated at birth, and one, you know, develops crowded, wonky teeth and has sleep apnea, and they you know, their uh, their jaws depressed. And you know, the other the other uh, twin, you know, eats the right foods and goes out in the sun and and does all the right things, and they develop completely differently. And so, if it was true that genetics were the only factor in play, then both of those twins would develop the same disease, right?
1: correct i see i see the genetics excuse as a cop out um i mean no doubt there are some genetic disorders out there which are purely genetic um, mm-hmm. due to gene mutations but to me like by and large most of us who are saying genetics is the reason behind my methylation issues or whatever whatever it is it's a victim mindset where they're just um i guess accepting their fate And uh, mitochondriacs do not have a victim mindset. We kind of grab the bull by the horns and shake it up, um, because uh, we are borderline obsessive, dogmatic um, about the fact that mitochondria really, mitochondrial function really is the the holy grail of health, Um, and uh, and it's correcting the inputs into the mitochondria that result in changes in energy metabolism and stuff like that. I mean, the I mean. Practically every disorder or disease out there is metabolic disease because it, mm-hmm. it at least ninety ninety at least ninety percent would originate in the mitochondria, and the mitochondria is the stage of metabolism. So, um, metabolic disease isn't just kind of fatty liver and leaky gut and obesity; it's so much more than that.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, you know. If you're like me, you go on Instagram and and you'll see uh, most doctors, or not most doctors, but your functional medicine type doctors or your your so to speak woke doctors, uh, talking about metabolic health and you know ketogenic diets and you know moving and and you know lifting weights and all of these things to lower blood glucose levels, which are all great things. But uh, from what I know of you, you're taking it a step further than that, and so you're coupling. Uh, you're coupling those things with light yeah i mean i
1: i find it ironic that there are the health gurus out there that are talking about blood glucose monitoring but they're they're recording on instagram in in blue light and so they're not and so they possibly don't know that blue light increases blood glucose and blood insulin um so it's just something small like that which uh just shows the the different scale that um, those in the quantum health space look at because light underpins everything. Everything on this planet has grown under the force of light from the sun.
0: And so, to break that down for people, so we're tracing, we're tracing it back to the start, right, or back to the beginning. We're saying what's at the root, and when it, we're saying most people are stuck at food, and and food was a big breakthrough for a long time because. You know, food was we, we weren't exposed to artificial light or non-native EMFs, and so food was the the huge paradigm shift where everyone started to realize, hey, my diet is the the missing link, and what guys like you and Dr. Jack Cruz are starting to say and have been saying for a long time is that, uh, you know, where we're still facing a lot of these issues, and a a lot of people have changed their diet and they've changed their lifestyle, and yet they're still suffering from the same diseases, and there are even new diseases popping up.
1: Yeah, so a 100 years ago, food is medicine was an axiomatic truth. Um, Then what happened was we started to create artificial light. So in 1879, there was the the first uh, artificial light bulb, um, which was an incandescent, which isn't too bad compared to what we're living under right now.
0: Why would an incandescent be better?
1: Because it's got more red light in it compared to what we're living under right now.
0: And, and so, so, and so to go to go from the beginning, sun we would call sunlight full spectrum light, correct? And so that has combinations of red, blue, purple, and every color in the solar spectrum, right? Correct, and it's also and so,
1: got- light that we can't see in the ultraviolet and infrared ranges.
0: Okay. And so it's when we get overly exposed to certain spectrums and underexposed to other spectrums that we start to see disease show up.
1: Spot on. So we're designed to be exposed to the full solar spectrum, not just one or two frequencies. And so what we're living under right now is primarily blue light. Which is why you're
0: outside without your shirt on right now, right?
1: Exactly. Although there's nothing to show off, just a bit of melanin, nothing else really. Um, But uh, we're living under fake light. Um, It's in the ceilings. It's in our screens. It's in our smartwatches. It's on trains. um, It's everywhere. And what it's doing to us is it's actually destroying our body's sense of time because we sense time of the blue light in the sun. And the blue light in the screens and artificial lights that we see is the same strength as the blue light in the sun at midday. So every time we're looking at these fake artificial lights, we're telling our body that it's solar noon. We're telling our brain that it's solar noon. So if you're looking at your phone at 9 p.m. before you go to sleep, you're telling your brain that it's solar noon. And when the blue light increases the periodicity of the circadian clock behind our eye, that's when you start to have chaos ensue because time is a very, very important piece of information that our body takes in in order to make sense of all the energy inputs that we are receiving and um, so coming back to food like food was medicine and is medicine and I'm not saying food is not important I'm saying food is very important but if food is being prescribed if nutritional advice is being prescribed without uh, consideration of one's light environment then that patient is not going to get amazing results. And the reason why is because the light environment that we expose ourselves to affects the mitochondria and the mitochondria are metabolizing the food. Mm -hmm. And so when you mix up the full solar spectrum with all of this fake light, and I'm talking the light we can see, the blue light that we can see in our screens, but I'm also talking about the light we can't see, the non-native electromagnetic frequencies, which also affect our mitochondria. What that actually does is it affects the fidelity of the signal that our mitochondria have from the sun and the Earth's magnetism in order to drive metabolism. And so then the mitochondria get confused. And when they're confused, they're just like, what do we do with this food electron? And once there's too much confusion, food electrons start to escape. And they escape the mitochondria as free radicals. And then when you have too many free radicals acting on the DNA that's when you start to get mal-expression of DNA and so the entire game of health is about regulating or optimizing the amount of free radicals that are being released from the mitochondria and um, it's important to understand that free radicals are supposed to be released because they are a signal so we can't kind of completely eliminate free radical release from mitochondria but well, what we can do is optimize it so that we get optimal genetic expression of the, of the DNA. Um, so yeah, a lot of what I do is educating my clients and patients on optimal mitochondrial health, what are the things that we need to change in our, in our life, in our light environment, in order to restore optimal health. There's a strong understanding of the evolutionary principles under which we evolved. Because if we want to try and fix someone that is de-evolving, we need to then understand how we evolved in the first place, um, and so that is understanding things that happened millions of years ago.
0: <clears throat> and so to to so we don't lose anyone. We probably lost a few people already. But <clears throat> when I when I first saw. When I first saw people starting to talk about artificial light, I was kind of one of these people who just who, who thought, you know, I'm eating organic food, I'm, I'm exercising, I'm doing all the right things and here's another thing that I have to worry about which, you know, to be honest, I don't think it's, it's affecting me. <clears throat> and so it wasn't until I started paying closer attention and, and probably until I really met you that uh, I actually bought a pair of blue light blocking glasses and I started viewing the sunrise as often as I could. And the first thing I noticed at night when I started wearing blue light blocking glasses or red tinted glasses was that I started to feel tired much earlier. Uh, and you know, it was like if I if I put them on with the sunset, uh, even if I was looking at screens before bed, I would still have the feeling of of being drowsy. And it's not to say that I didn't have that feeling when I wasn't wearing blue light blocking glasses, but it, the this, the hormonal signal was far stronger. The other thing uh, that I I kind of think is important to highlight here is that what what you're really talking about is rhythms and cycles in nature, and you mentioned, you know, coupling the biology with the environment, and so when we are Indoors, and we're exposing ourselves to more blue light than red light, or we're not getting that full solar spectrum, then our body starts to believe that it's a certain season, right? So perhaps it starts to believe that it's constantly stuck in winter. And so, if the foods uh, that were only available in winter were only available to us, and that's all we had to consume, then perhaps we would be uh, better off. But because we have access to uh non-seasonal foods at any time of the year, then the light and the food start to have a big impact together, right because suddenly we're eating uh, summer foods in when our body thinks it's winter and so that's when we start to put on weight and we start to develop metabolic disease right? Spot on and uh, I mean having bananas in winter
1: for instance it's it's it sounds strange but it's a it's a silly thing to do because thousands of years ago, bananas wouldn't have been available in winter. So what makes us think that it's right to eat it now in winter? Mm-hmm. And this is where, um, I mean, the, there's diets like the ketogenic diet and the low carb, high fat diet. And um, lots of people are getting great results. Lots of clinicians are getting great results for their patients. But I still push the fact that they've got to go further than just saying a blanket rule that a ketogenic diet is going to help someone if they're going to eat that 12 months of the year or a low-carb, high-fat diet or low-carb, high-protein diet is going to help someone because it's got to be sensitive and considerate to one's context, um, what what the season is, what their light environment is. Um, so it, it really is all about a very personalized approach to care where um, we are understanding how that person is living, what is their latitude, what is their amount of solar exposure, what is their amount of grounding. Because food isn't the only source of energy that we have. Because in the mitochondria, you've got something called the electron transport chain, which is fundamentally what produces the energy inside our body. And it's not a carbohydrate transport chain or a fat transport chain or a protein transport chain. It's an electron transport chain. And so we have all of these cycles inside our body like the TCA cycle and other things which are breaking food down into electrons and electrons are the input into the mitochondrial engine that produces energy. So once again, we're back to electrons. We're back to how light interacts with electrons, uh, But Einstein's photoelectric effect. Um, so it all boils down to the biophysics and making sure that the physics that is happening inside our body matches the environmental inputs that we're exposing our body to.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, what you're really saying to uh, for the too long didn't read people is uh, that we are electrical before we're chemical.
1: Yes, I would say we're electromagnetic.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so, electromagnetic. electromagnetic what does that mean?
1: Because. When you have a current of electrons, that is, that makes, that creates an, when you have a flow of electrons, that creates an electric current. And then James Clark Maxwell, a Scottish physicist, he came up with some laws, and one of the laws which he said was what I just said, that the flow of electrons equals an electric current. But in addition to that, when you have a flow of electrons, there is a magnetic field that develops that is perpendicular to the direction of flow of the electric current. And so, if you have a flow of electrons inside your mitochondria, that means then that your mitochondria have a magnetism. So, that's why we electromagnetic beings. Your heart. So, it's a kind ma-
0: of like a, a, a cross stitch, if you'd imagine that. So, electricity is flowing in this way, and magnet magnetism is flowing downwards.
1: Yeah. So, you've got electrons flowing one way, and you've got a magnetic field which is emerging out of it, perpendicular. And so like your heart has a magnetic field which can be measured 22 feet away from you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the heart is also very dense in mitochondria. Surprise, surprise. And so this is why some people are more magnetic than others. Mm-hmm. Because the mitochondria health of their heart is better.
0: Yeah, and and so what you're really alluding to there is why uh, why we're drawn to certain people. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, what I would say from that is that you're probably drawn to the healthiest people, right? The healthiest people, uh, or or the most energetic people, have that internal energy that people are unconsciously attracted to.
1: That's right, Um, because they have more magnetism, and they have, and they release more light, um, which is which is a because every cell in our body releases an ultra-low frequency UV light that we can't see. And that frequency of light is stronger than the frequencies of light from the sun that reach Earth. So just think on that for a second. We are producing a frequency of light that is more intense and stronger than the frequency of light that comes from the sun that reaches Earth. That's so wild. we literally like a, have the sun inside of us. And so we're able to sense the light that's coming off other people. And that's another reason why we are either drawn or repulsed from other people.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's kind of like, uh, like when you step into an elevator with someone and you can feel who's angry or who's had, you know, who's had a bad day. That, yeah, exactly. I
1: and mean, we have all these cues that we're giving out the way we smile. The way we smile with our mouth, the way we smile with our eyes, um, hand gestures, body body language, and then obviously the magnetism and the light. And this is why the quantum space is just so beautiful because you 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 start to look at life in a completely different lens because you're not looking at it in a physical way because you're realizing that everything you see is electrons and protons. And so there's like it's when I used to hear people say these things like everything that you see is a hologram. I used to just be like that's just woo-woo like it just doesn't make sense I can touch this thing but the more I learn about the quantum realm the more I realize that everything really is a hologram and you can you can change what you see in your physical reality just based on the the frequencies that you were thinking at and the frequencies that you were feeling at Um, and uh, that all boils down to vibrations and the easiest way to change that is to to change the light that you expose yourself to, because every time a photon of light hits you, it makes proteins and molecules inside your body oscillate at a particular vibration. That is your vibe. So my question to your listeners is: Do you want to vibe at artificial blue light, or do you want to vibe at the power of the sun? Mm. I know my answer.
0: Yeah, well we we see uh, we see the results of that on. On uh, places like Twitter, right? Blue Light vibe.
1: <laughs> Look, the social media space is a is a it, it's 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 very it's a beast, isn't it? Because you've got so much garbage going on there. But at the same time, that's how people like you and I connect. Um, and you know, I've found so many people who I would call brothers um, just just through social media, um, which is phenomenal. Something I never would have thought w- would be possible. And I guess it it boils down to me putting out what what I feel in my heart. Um, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I don't hide anything, and it resonates with people, which I'm grateful for. And um, you know, we're building a tribe, a quantum tribe, and uh, it's it's exciting to see how um, how things are going to pan out as we build this network. Light. That's it. The light network.
0: So, so. I'm gonna I'm gonna step things back again now. Uh, yeah. We had a conversation the other day about I asked you a question about mm-hmm. ketogenic diets, and I said, "Does a ketogenic diet uh, signal to the body that it's winter time?" And I think we had a really interesting conversation from there because my my intuition would say yes. Uh, if you're from a part of the world where the ground freezes in the winter and you're uh, you know, you're, you're eating primarily fat, your body's running in ketosis, then uh, your body would start to, you know, the circadian clocks would start to tell your body that it's winter, right?
1: But it was the first part of that question which answers the question, which is that when you're in freezing cold temperatures, mm-hmm. so it's actually the cold temperature that creates the metabolic switch inside your body that drives ketosis and drives the kind of better metabolism of the ketogenic diet
0: so we're we're initially talking about circadian switches here right so we've got uh light which is one circadian switch we've got temperature which is another one which is stronger than light and do we have a third one um
1: i think there's others like uh magnetism movement yep Um, magnetism is an important one to these are all circadian zeitgebers Mm -hmm. or circadian switches Um, the most powerful one that actually trumps light is is cold temperature Mm -hmm. which is why you know ice buds first thing in the morning or face dunks are really good at uh, helping someone restore their circadian rhythm Mm -hmm. so the ketogenic diet is definitely part of living in winter but the circadian switch for metabolism is not the diet itself but the temperature of the environment Mm -hmm.
0: and so from there we talked about uh mitochondrial density in certain parts of the body and so when you are exposed to cold you are creating more brown fat which is denser in mitochondria than white fat right yes and so from there we see people like sherpas which are for people who aren't aware you know Sherpas are those people who, who live around, you know, places like Mount Everest and, you know, high altitude. Yeah. High altitude people. And so, uh, you know, rich white people will go there with all of their backpacks and, and all of their gear and all of their, all of their, uh, you know, warm weather clothes or cold weather clothes, I should say. And then they'll pay the Sherpas to track them up the mountain. And so these Small people who probably don't weigh too much, who are very dense in brown fat, pretty much only eat butter on their way up, right? Correct. And so the theory from there is that those people have more internal energy.
1: They're producing more energy because of the diet, firstly, Mm -hmm. because we produce more ATP and more water when we are from one mole of fat compared to one mole of glucose mm-hmm. and uh, the temperature is such that it increases the release of infrared light from our mitochondria and then the infrared light charge separates water that's another whole topic which we might open up if you want
0: um, yeah we, we can do that so on, on the topic of red light we would say that cold thermogenesis uh, initiates the production of red light within the body, which Correct. or infrared light, which is warming, infrared light is warming like the sunlight. Yes, and then so we would say that those people have a greater capacity to warm themselves from the inside. Correct. Yeah, and that and so that's a combination of the fat from their diet and uh, the the cold thermogenesis at the same time. Sure, and the thing is that white Europeans
1: would would also be good at being able to do that because Mm -hmm. of the haplotype of their mitochondria. Think of your haplotype as like there's different types of mitochondria, just like there's different types of skin complexions. Um, So they would be good at uncoupling their mitochondria to produce infrared light. It's just that have they destroyed that capability um, because of the fake environments that they are living in because the winters are warm and the summers are cold.
0: Mm -hmm. And so what, what we're... I guess what we're kind of alluding to there is eating a ketogenic diet for years on end is probably not the healthiest choice even though you might be told that you know everything is metabolic disease now and a ketogenic diet is the best way to stay away from uh developing metabolic disease if you're coupling yourself with your environment then you should be healthy enough to have carbohydrates when the sun's out and to eat uh you know basically as you please exactly exactly so i mean. The, the way to live is
1: to you know be able to pick your fruit and veggies off the local tree and and um, yeah fats and proteins are locally sourced as well the tricky part is is that I mean we are now living in a world where things like that are so much more difficult because we're also busy and you know we've got we've got financial responsibilities and um before we would have a village that would help us raise our children you know the children would have cousins and aunts and uncles and we'd be living in tribes but now you've got two parents raising children and raising children isn't a two-man job it's it's a village job and so parents are overwhelmed and rightfully so because they're doing the work of multiple adults and we've got both parents more often than not are either working or, or one's working and the other one's busy um as a as a housewife and i mean that's that's the hardest job in the world and the most underpaid um so salute and shout out to all mothers listening we love you but um, but uh so like the way that society is being constructed has is such that it's just it's so hard to live according to these quantum and circadian principles and that's not a cop-out and it's just that's just a fact. And so we have to change our choices because mm-hmm. the, the choices are do we live in big cities, which are expensive to live in, so then we have to slave away making ends meet and then not have time to raise our children or have time to eat healthy produce. And we slave away so that we can set up our children so that they can slave away for their children. Or do we regain our sovereignty and build communities which are self-sufficient and mm-hmm. um, don't need to worry about remaining in the slave game because we're self-sufficient. So, like, it's a – I mean, all these things are, you know, topics of conversation that I regularly have with with my close friends because we're trying to nut out how this looks and how we can make this work and how to find that fine balance between um, – Living in the real world, so to speak, but also at the same time, living in a healthy quantum circadian way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's it's a conversation that we've had, and and I guess having my background, one of the things that I I I have said is uh is it also comes back to belief systems, right? And so it's it's one thing to get light, and it's another thing to make the choice to get light or to eat healthy food or to do whatever you believe that you need to do to live the life that you want to live and right now uh, I've made posts about this before our our society is one based on uh, consumerism and materialism and so both mother and father in the family have to work to uh, to consume all the material things that they believe will make them happy and yet we're getting sicker at the same time Spot on. We're we're less content, we have uh, you know, less of the we have more of the material stuff that we want and less of the uh the things that make us actually content and happy.
1: That's because the things that make us content and happy are hard to measure. They're hard to describe. You you can't Mm -hmm. even use any language to describe them. So the things that make us content is like love, an understanding of consciousness, an understanding of our position in this universe. Uh, an understanding of um, a, a higher power and all of these things like people tried for centuries to define love, to define consciousness and many men have gone mad trying to do so um, and I think it's arrogant because you can't these are quantum phenomenon and you, you can't even describe quantum phenomenon using language the only way to describe it is with maths and even Matts is our way of trying to make sense of the quantum phenomena, mm-hmm. and, and so the the job is to is is that man has this pitfall of wanting to of always wanting to be able to answer things, to be able to measure things, to be able to describe things, and so when they can't describe love and consciousness, they're going to gravitate towards things that they can describe, that they can see, touch, feel, and those are the material things. And so Mm -hmm. what we have is this low gravitation towards consumerism because it satiates our need for uh, being able to answer questions because we're going to gravitate away from the questions that we can't answer. Um, And this is where uh, things like faith and understanding of nature and the quantum realm really helped me get released from the consumerism trap because I really... Began to realize that um, all of this doesn't matter, and that what really matters is how we look after our soul while we're on this planet because our body is just a vessel carrying mm-hmm. the soul. And um, how can we shape and cu- curate and nourish the souls of our children so that they can have a good time on earth and we can mm-hmm. just be rather than um, be consistently, you know, treading water, so to speak.
0: Yeah, that's uh that's soul sucking. I've 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 actually heard it said that, you know, <clears throat> in tribal times, they you know, they again a guy like Weston A. Price or, or someone similar studied native tribes and they found that those people could basically do all of the work that they needed to do, uh, to sustain themselves in four to five hours for the day. And the rest of the time they would spend in their leisure or playing with the kids or, you know, making things, uh crafts, things like that. And so you know, how much of our time do we have to devote to things like that now? When uh, we're caught in this paradigm,
1: that's right. We don't have time to nourish our souls, do we? And there's so much um, great stuff in the health space, which is uh, focusing on meditation and and uh, yoga and and prayer and reading and, and all these types of things, which at the end of the day is just the basics of what our tribal ancestors would have done they would have just mm-hmm. been chilling on a hammock or maybe not a hammock but you know just chilling in the sun grounded um chewing on a few berries uh, yeah 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 would have been a good time yep i was uh, born a few thousand w- years too late
0: <laughs> i think uh one of the things that i focused on and i still focus on very heavily is the uh the autonomic nervous system right so the sympathetic and parasympathetic or the fight or flight first rest and digest. And you know, a, a lot of the clients I see, I'll ask them, like, you know, how are you feeling? And the the answer that I often get is fine. And it's very difficult to to quantify or define what the word fine means because when we are in a particular state for an extended period of time, if that's a fight or flight state, then we become fine with being in that stressed state. And I find, you know, speaking about, you know, someone who's done all the work that they need to do and they they know that they're fine until the next day or, or until the next week in, in four to five hours of the day, they would have been far more able to access that rest and digest state. And, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a totally different thing, right?
1: It is. Uh, I, th- I think you make a good point. When you when you're chronically in a position of fight or flight, it becomes normal, and we've got to stop normalizing that chronic fight or flight response that we are living in. See, things we're designed to be in that sympathetic state of fight or flight during the day, because you know cortisol is high in the morning. It wakes us up, but then we've got sunlight to switch it off, because sunlight mm-hmm. switches off cortisol and. Um, And uh, that's how you lower blood pressure. That's how you calm the system down. But then you've got that system to draw upon if a tiger jumps in and starts to attack the tribe. Um, So we've got cortisol for a reason. We just kind of have it chronically activated. And the lives that we are living are chronically activating cortisol. And what it does is is that it steals away um, the precursor to cortisol, which is pregnenolone. So then pregnenolone never gets to form the sex steroid hormones and it's always directed towards cortisol. Um, and so th- that's how we start to have fertility issues. Um,
0: and so that's the that's the concept of pregnenolone steel.
1: Correct. Yeah. So cholesterol gets converted into pregnenolone and pregnenolone then has a fork in the road. It can either form cortisol or it can form the sex steroid hormones, which are like your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, et cetera. Um, vitamin D also is in that pathway. So when we are chronically stressed, we're always driving towards cortisol, and we are then stealing away from the production of sex steroid hormones. So this is, um, this is all the hormone dysregulation that we're seeing these days and the infertility epidemic. Chuck mm-hmm. in estrogenics you know a few microplastics here and there a bit of um herbicides like uh, i think it's atrazine and mm-hmm. um which is not as well known as glyphosate but pretty estrogenic
0: yeah uh, people people tend to focus a lot on glyphosate because i think it's the only chemical that they know of in in conventional agriculture but there's some far more nasty ones than then glyphosate around
1: yeah or, or equally nasty um but i um, mean so we've got so many estrogenics in the soaps that we're using in the um in the in the shampoos and conditioners and all these types of things um it's in medications it's in food soy is full of it and that's how you create a you you create a society of men who are deficient in testosterone because a they're chronically stressed b they're full of estrogen um in addition to that, they're they're not working out. They're not doing manly things that they need to be doing, like moving, like um, fighting and 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 protecting their tribe, so to speak. And there's ways to do that which are not necessarily physical. They can still give you that testosterone um boost. Um, so yeah, it's a, all of this ties into what we're seeing in society these days. Mm-hmm. all of and, the light environment uh, all of the um all of the the inputs that we're receiving from processed cleaning agents from processed foods it's all affecting our hormones the light um the, the, the light is huge the, the, the way that it destroys dopamine inside our eye and inside our brain is phenomenal and when you have a lack of dopamine you have a lack of motivation and drive and curiosity in your frontal lobe this reduces executive function. So then you have people that are less curious. They're not asking questions. Even if you give them truth on a silver platter, they still can't see it. They still can't see the forest from the trees because they're so low on dopamine. And I personally experienced a huge change in my executive and cognitive function as I've improved my light environment. And it's so liberating and so exciting and I just want other people to experience what I have experienced and what I am experiencing.
0: Well, that's the thing about being a healthy person and becoming healthy, right? We were talking before about uh, exuding light or, or being that person that other people are attracted to and not only does that happen, but you also want to share what you've learned with other people because you want other people to to share your experience. You want to lift other people up, right?
1: Yeah, I want other people to be the best versions of themselves not for me for themselves for society Mm -hmm. because when you have when you have a society where each person is acting autonomously but for the betterment of society that's what you call a coherent society and it's similar to the concept of quantum coherence that we have inside our bodies where i mean the definition of quantum coherence in my mind is where every cell is acting autonomously whether it's autophagy cell repair apoptosis program cell death, cells will make those decisions for themselves based on what is the best thing for the organism or for the tissue. Mm-hmm. And so that concept of quantum coherence has to extend away from biology and up into just the level of society as well. And this um, you know, the fractal nature of the universe is such that everything that is happening at the smaller scale can happen and should happen at the biggest scale and vice versa. And so if we want to turn things around as a society and improve health outcomes, improve the health system and um, improve executive functioning in society, make a, a better life and a better world for our children, we need to make these fundamental changes at the small scale inside of us and then let that radiate up.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I've often harped on about... Uh... The state of our society and particularly men in society at the moment. And, you know, like you said before, the the testosterone levels have fallen by 50% and, you know, women are having infertility issues and, you know, they're happy to go and spend 30 or 40 or $50,000 at an IVF clinic. But all of a sudden, if it's about lifestyle change, things start to get too expensive. And I guess it's, I guess there's two things that come up there because There's a a promise uh, that you you believe that you will receive results when you pay that sort of money, especially to a medical practitioner. Uh, And there's an instant gratification associated with uh, not having to make the change.
1: I think so. Like the instant gratification typifies the nature of society. We want everything yesterday and we don't want to work or grind for it. Um, so that concept of delayed gratification, a lower time preference, it's not there. The My concern with the way that we are dealing with infertility right now is that we are, we've are we got a band-aid approach which is working. People are falling pregnant, people are having babies, IVF and whatever other methods there are out there. But aside from it being expensive, the problem is is that it doesn't deal with the underlying cause of why the female may be infertile in the first place. If it's an inflammatory reason, then the mitochondria are not working. And that baby is going to receive suboptimal mitochondria from their mother. And so then that baby is going to have health outcomes decline earlier than what happened to their mother. And so this is how you start to have transgenerational epigenetics, where the environmental issues and toxic exposures that the mother was exposed to start to show up with disease earlier in the offspring. This is why our grandfathers and grandmothers, who probably were the first that were introduced to process food and artificial light, didn't get hammered too badly. Many of them are still living till 80, 90. And, okay, I mean, there's chronic diseases that are setting in, but it's our parents who are getting hit worse. Mm -hmm. And we will be hit worse Mm -hmm. unless we start to look at health from a quantum scale. And so, I mean, my big drive is, is, is for the children. That's what drives me. I push myself every day to learn as much as I can and raise awareness about the quantum approach to health so that I can help my children and I can help everyone else's children so that we can we can slowly step in the right di- direction towards um, reversing infertility issues for men and women and thereby optimizing the health outcomes for future generations.
0: Yeah and there's there's another thing about that where you know where we're told now that our you know the average life expectancy is uh, the most it's ever been and it's things are so great because we can expect to live so long but if you look into the nitty-gritty of those details people aren't healthy when they're dying and people are developing diseases far more early and so Someone who dies when they're in their mid-80s may have had four or five comorbidities since they were in their 40s. And so the quality of life is low for a much longer period of time. When you look even further into those statistics, you start to notice that people have always been living for, you know, since the beginning of time, people have been living into their 80s, 90s, even early hundreds probably. And what you find is that What's really happened is that the contribution of uh, emergency medicine, so saving people when they're in accidents. Uh, what you also find is uh, infant mortality. Uh, that's a great thing that modern medicine has does it has done is really uh, reduced the rates of infant mortality. <clears throat> but the other thing is uh, hygiene, sanitation, um, building in sewage systems, and and you know things to make life. Um, more sanitary and more hygienic are the main contributing factors to our average life expectancy increase, but the quality of life has significantly decreased.
1: A hundred percent. So like those measures that you mentioned, sanitation, et cetera, have gone a a long way towards improving life expectancy. Modern medicine saves lives. There's no no doubt about that. Um, You know, in the acute um, medicine space, emergency medicine space, like, you walk in with a broken leg. Quantum medicine isn't going to fix that broken leg. It needs to be put back together. You know, yeah. so um, modern medicine definitely has its has its place, but it's it's um, it's in the field of chronic disease where I think we need to see a bit of an improvement. That way, we can have people living a long time, but with a good quality of life, where they're not um, they're not bedridden with multiple comorbidities and lots of pharmaceuticals and, and all that
0: type of stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fascinating stuff let's uh let's go back a little bit to uh our proton and electron space where we're talking about light and grounding and perhaps we could even combine a little bit of water conversation into that so can you explain to me why it's important to have your feet or at least some part of your body on the ground when you're standing in sunlight
1: so the mitochondria have the electron transport chain. There are three sources of electrons. One is food. The second is the earth, because we can ground. And the third is the sun. And so the, the sun is, uh, produces UV light, and that UV light has a photoelectric effect on our semiconductor proteins inside our body, which means it ejects electrons out of their ground state, um, and uh, that is how we start to create um, electrical currents inside our body from the sun.
0: The second, so what, what inside us uh, is semiconductive?
1: So many things. So we're at one giant semiconductor full of smaller semiconductors. So proteins like melanin, dopamine, melatonin, um, serotonin, these are all wide bandgap semiconductors. We're starting to get technical with the biophysics now. Um, I, no, I, I,
0: I love this. I love this talk. And and like I was saying to you the other day, I've started reading the book, The Body Electric by Robert O. Becker. Yeah. And I think that everyone who's interested in health needs to read that book. But one of the most fascinating things I've found is that bone, bone is, is semiconductive. And so you've got this perfect match of collagen and appetite, a type P and a type N semiconductor with copper molecules in there to as to the make rectifier. this as a rectifier, which, which works the same as a record player.
1: Yep. It's, it's magic. So, I mean, we're full of all these semiconductors, which when exposed to, um, light, um, we create electric current, then grounding is just a source of electrons. It's also a source for our to dump for us to dump dirty electricity into the earth, um, when you are grounded, you have a force field around you which protects you from non-native electromagnetic frequencies. It's almost like a Faraday cage. Okay. So um, uh, for me, grounding, I see it as something which just equalizes us. It returns us to equilibrium. It balances out the autonomic nervous system. So, I mean, you don't need to have your feet on the ground to ground. You can just touch a leaf or mm. you know, have your hand on a tree. So if you're in the city and you're getting your eyes in the game, you know, having a light break at lunchtime, um, just touch a tree. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. You don't need to take your shoes off. Um, So those are your three sources of electrons. And um, as they're flowing through, we have uh, a process of um, uh, quantum tunneling that's happening as the electrons flow through um, through the electron transport chain. But something the mitochondria does is that it reverses the process of photosynthesis. So photosynthesis is when you have carbon dioxide and water plus sunlight resulting in the production of um, carbohydrates or glucose, sugar, and and oxygen. And so mitochondria reverse that process. So we have a release of carbon dioxide and water from the mitochondria. We exhale the um, carbon dioxide. And the water that we produce it, that we produce stays inside our body. And so cellular hydration has got little to do with how much water you drink and everything to do with how much water, con- uh, water your mitochondria make. And so that water is photoelectric. It has the ability to change its physical properties under different forms of light. The most important ones are infrared and UV light. And when it's exposed to these lights it actually separates into two different phases. Um, there is a bulk water phase, which is kind of think of it as like a liquid phase, which is similar to the water that we drink, and then you have an exclusion zone layer, which is like, like a liquid crystal that wraps around everything that is hydrophilic inside our cell.
0: So, so hydrophilic means, meaning water-loving.
1: Water-loving. So that means DNA, that means proteins, that means pretty much everything, except for fats. Your cell membrane is fat. And so when you have all these things floating around inside your cell that are wrapped in this hydration shell of exclusion zone water, um, this is how you start to get uh, quantum coherence happening where, because if you think about it, the most ubiquitous protein in our body is collagen. So collagen is wrapped in this easy water. And so... Collagen is inside ourselves, collagen is in between ourselves, collagen is in the muscles, collagen is in the ligaments, the fascia. Fascia contains all the water inside our body. So now you have this entire web network of collagen, which is wrapped in this sheath of water. And all the information um, signals that are being sent from one part of the body to the other are happening through this water system. And This is happening at a speed faster than nerve conduction. And this is how one body talks to the other electrically. And uh, so the water we make is critical, but it's also changing the behavior of that water under different forms of light. And here's the thing, we shield ourselves from the sun. We're wearing sunscreen, we're wearing hats, we're wearing sunglasses. And so we're never getting enough of that red light to charge separate our water. To restore signal transduction inside our tissues, so you have all these body workers who are, you know, trying to sort out fascia and trying to sort out this and that, but they don't understand the importance of red light therapy mm-hmm. from the sun um, and the what UV light does to charge-separated water after it's been exposed to red light, and um, how that is so critical to restoring the the health and hydration of the fascia
0: there's that's a lot to that whole there. thing is
1: huge <laughs> a lot to unpack there
0: yeah um it it is a lot to unpack um so let's let's talk a little bit about red light therapy then
1: so i mean the ultimate red light therapy is the sun but uh sometimes because of lifestyles et cetera, it's difficult and so you can always supplement with a good red light therapy um, a good red light therapy device and what it does is it emits um, red light as well as infrared light that helps to charge separate that water into the two phases that I was talking about so it helps to improve the um, the in- information signaling that is happening uh, through, throughout the fashion networks inside our body and so you want to be Getting as much of your skin exposed to that red light as possible, so um, you do it with your clothes off, and you do it. Um, you get the biggest pa- panel that you can that you can get in terms of either space or affordability, and you try and get skin in the game.
0: Mm-hmm. Um literally, skin in the game. Literally. When when you talk about exclusion zone water, and what we're really talking, or what what we're referring to is is the fourth phase of water, um Gerald which is Pollock. a book written by Dr. Gerald Pollock. Um and so we're we're talking, you know, most of us most of us talk about water in three phases. So we've got uh steam, we've got water water, and then we've got ice, right? And what Gerald Pollock is referring to is a fourth phase on top of that, which he calls easy water or exclusion zone water.
1: Yeah, so it's like a it's like a jelly. So when you make jelly and you put it in the fridge and you take it out a few hours later and it like wiggles around in the bowl, it's like that. So it's like like a,
0: like, like like collagen, exactly. essentially. So it's like yeah,
1: a, yeah. So it's like a liquid gel, and the water molecules that are they're arranged in a in a lattice, um, and it's like layers of the lattice that form that liquid gel, and an exclusion zone excludes everything that is bigger than a proton so a proton and anything bigger can't actually fit in
0: so this is how
1: you protect your proteins from heavy metals and stuff like that
0: there you go that's an interesting topic
1: so detox is important but if you improve your redox which is the net negativity of your cells then you will automatically start to detox. So it's always redox before detox. So redox is net negativity inside a cell. And how does that translate to water? Well, the liquid crystal gel that is a hydration cell, exclusions on water that wraps around these hydrophilic proteins, it is um, very electronegative. It's packed with electrons. And the other side, which is the bulk water, is um, packed with protons and you want your proteins to be surrounded by a layer which is packed with electrons because all the protein chemistry, all of biochemistry is redox reactions, the passing of electrons from one protein to another. And so when you had the electrons readily available, that's how you improve the redox reactions that are happening inside your body. And then we go and so- to 300, the 30,000-foot view again. Um, you've got 100,000 biochemical reactions happening inside your cell every second and they need to be timed to perfection and that time is circadian timing because you want the products of the first reaction to become the reactants of the next reaction and so that's why everything starts first with circadian signaling, fixing the circadian rhythm and then starting to load up on electrons, stop the leaking of electrons Right, right, right.
0: And so should – does the body produce easy water and should we be concerned about uh, bringing more easy water into our own bodies? I think, uh, I think trying to drink easy
1: water, I'm, I just don't know enough to know about whether or not it would get wrecked in the gut, so to speak. Um, before absorption, but I don't think there's a harm in having water which is infused with nature's frequencies. Um, so that could be, you know, spring water, analemma wand, something like that. Um, at the end of the day, our body produces the water. We just need to give it the signal to create easy water, and that is from the sun. That is from red light therapy. And for those listeners that are, have how have hung on and are still here right now. Um, this easy water is being made with infrared light and remember our mitochondria make infrared light so when you increase mitochondrial production increase mitochondrial uh, activity then you are increasing the amount of infrared light that you yourself are making which increases the charge separation of water that increases the easy water etc very cool down to mitochondria
0: certainly does and so if I was to do the too long, didn't read version of that, it's, it certainly is important to have your, so one of the things that I'm, I'm always careful of, uh, whenever I talk about sun exposure is that we're not talking about going out in the sunlight with no shirt on or no clothes on for hour, hours on end, uh, before you've conditioned yourself to the sun or, you know, it's responsible before responsible you have. Exposure. Yeah. And so the other part of responsible sun exposure is, well, firstly, uh, you know, only exposing yourself to uh, a controlled amount of sun and slowly building that up over time. And the other part is making sure that some part of your body is connected to the ground or to a part to something that is connected to the ground.
1: Yeah. So, so like, that's a good place to start for anyone that's kind of looking to change things up a little bit. And the other kind of, I would say, non negotiable is blocking blue light.
0: Blocking blue light, yes. And so it has been hypothesized that blue light, artificial blue light and non-native EMF, and it's probably more than a hypothesis now, actually contribute to certain forms of skin cancer. Um, There's statistics out there that say that outdoor workers actually have a lower incidence of skin cancer than indoor workers. Uh, And we know that even with... The increased application of sunscreen, hats, sun protection, sunglasses, uh, melanoma rates and rates of skin cancer have continued to increase.
1: Yep, um, there's plenty of research out there to show now that uh, more sun exposure reduces uh, reduces you having comorbidities. Uh, so, the more sun you get, the better. It's just doing it in a responsible way. The less sun you get, the more at risk you are of having several different types of cancers, including skin cancer. And this all boils down to things like uh, melanin and uh, alpha MSH and uh, the ways that we are able to increase our ability to absorb UV safely. But uh, when you are lacking in melanin, when you are lacking in charge-separated water, your ability to absorb UV goes down and then you're a sitting duck. And what's happening is is that we have people that kind of get to work at 8.30 a.m. and they're in blue light all day. They pop out for lunchtime. Oh, the sun's too strong. And they've gone from zero to 100. And then that fuels the argument that the sun is dangerous and unhealthy because it's too strong. When in fact, like they haven't spent any time in the morning sun. They haven't built that ability to handle the natural light it's now we have a society who can handle all this artificial light but can't handle the sunlight and it's just like we've got it completely the wrong way around yeah um, which is uh which is a concern and uh i mean i do my best not to come out attacking all guns blazing but more come from a from a place of love which is like guys the sun's not that bad let me teach you how to use it Um, yes you've got to be responsible about it but it's not nearly as bad as what we've been led to believe.
0: Mm-hmm. It's like it's like a, you know a vegan who hasn't eaten meat for years. You you wouldn't go and eat three kilos of steak in a day. It's on, um, it's on. The the first thing that I I was reminded of when I when I first put on my blue light blockers was I remember being a kid and I was at a at a Christmas party. I, I think it was a like a, a work function for for mum or dad and. You know, there was these fluorescent lights on, and I remember just thinking, like, these are just like I could fall asleep right now, but I can't. And this alien light is just keeping me awake. And that was that was my first experience with wearing uh, blue light blocking glasses. And now that I wear them more often, it's it really is alien light.
1: It is. It's is alien light, which uh, in some lights are even sh- have a stronger blue light lux than that of the sun at solar noon. Um, it's completely unnatural and it's it's destroying our dopamine it's destroying our melatonin it's destroying our sleep it's it's uh, it's playing a role in increasing our risk of cancers it's destroying our eyesight it's destroying so many things it's one of the like most little known I mean there's a lot of people that know that blue light is bad but because they don't know why they don't take it that seriously and that's, you know, part of the job of quantum health clinicians to really break it down and try and make it as simple as possible that, like, it's, like, it's the easiest thing to change. But the thing is, a lot of these lifestyle changes there, you you have to be willing to look a little bit different, you know? Um, yes. And uh, so, I mean, if we were at a wedding the other day, my wife and I, and I was wearing blue light blocking glasses. I was, you know, her and I were the only people in the room wearing blue light blocking glasses, and there's, like, two, 300 people there. I don't mind looking like looking a little bit silly. If anything, more people are coming up to me saying, oh, those glasses are cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just have to be willing to be ourselves, willing to not be a common person. We need to be willing to be a limited edition, one of one. Mm-hmm. And there's too many of us which are kind of wanting to fit in. I couldn't give rats about fitting in. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be me. Mm-hmm. And I encourage people to be themselves.
0: Yeah, and, and that's that's a, a real uh I guess a real differentiating factor. It's it's a sign of maturity and it's also a sign of, of like internal strength, right? You've you've developed a sense of, of self and, and you've individuated enough in Jungian terms or psychological terms to be able to say, I can be my own person and not worry about what other people think of me.
1: Yes. Provided and that I'm not harming anyone else. Of course. Look, we always come from a place of love. Um it's easier to do it when you have more dopamine in your brain and in your eye. It's just way easier. And you do it less aggressively and you do it with more love when you have more dopamine and more serotonin in you. It's just a fact. So, baby steps. Go nice and slow. Just start with morning sun. Block blue light at home. Don't worry about blocking blue light out. And slowly you will start to realize and make the changes yourself, without um, without feeling like that. Oh, this is a this is a task. This is a chore. Because you'll start to want to do it yourself, because your eyes will be begging you to put the glasses on, and mm. um, your yeah. your heart and your mind will be begging you to get that morning sun. You just have to stack those those days of morning sun. It's not once a week. Stack them one after the other, and just watch. One, watch your life exponentially change.
0: Is there any other advice that you would give to someone who uh, is struggling with low energy or, you know, has brain fog or, or any of those sort of conditions that you talked about? Look,
1: um, there's, there's lots of things that I could say. I think the number one thing is to uh, think about changing your light environment and that starts with, as we've touched on, morning sun and blocking blue light. Just do those two things. Surround- so
0: to, to clarify for people, morning sun is important because it kickstarts the production of uh, melatonin, but it's also important to get in that low-angle morning sunlight because it's less potent than the midday sun, which is more likely to cause you distress when you're first beginning, right?
1: Yeah, like you can't look directly at the sun at solar noon because it's just way too strong, but you can look directly at the sun as soon as it breaks the horizon because it's got no uv it's infrared it's a bit of blue it's safe to look directly at it it's okay to look directly at it um but you have to work towards that like your first morning you shouldn't be looking directly at it the ancient egyptians used to spend an hour looking at the sun in the morning we're not ancient egyptians are we because we've been bathing in artificial light so just look 15 degrees off to the side of um of uh, the direction of the sun and start to build your ability to handle that morning sun um and uh, yeah, so once you start to change your light environment and um, then you need to start to think about who you are surrounding yourself with because those people that you are surrounding yourself with, you're only as good as the kind of the five people around you. So do you need to do a bit of an audit of your friends and family around you, your close ones? Um, I think that's super important. Um, and that's how, that's sometimes a hard conversation that you have to have with yourself more than anybody else. Um you have to change your habits and your habits are actually what form your identity. There's a book called atomic habits that touches on that. So like, if you want to change who you are, you actually have to change what you are doing on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing to change what you are doing on a daily basis, it means that you're not willing to change who you are. Um, So, I mean, those are like just a few pointers to, to get people um, on a journey towards optimal health, it's it's not easy because there's like a massive web of disease-causing things, and then once you try and jump outside and try and get healthy, there's an even bigger web of health advice out there, um, of which you know I'm part of that pack. Um, what separates the quantum health clinicians like myself from the allopathic Western medicine and the functional medicine? because we look at electrons and protons and how light interacts with that and everything happens under light. So that's a that's the way that we look at things. Um, if it's too much of a maze for you to make sense of, think about working with a quantum health clinician because um, we will go out of our way to help you because that's why we wake up every day.
0: And where can people find you? Um,
1: I have a website, k 2 calibercom Uh, which goes into my quantum health coaching. Um, I also am on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is K2Calibre. So K2C-A-L-I-B-R-E.
0: Very good. And it is definitely worth a follow. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The kind of content that you produce is mind-blowing and it really makes this sort of difficult stuff very easy to understand. So thank you for the content that you produce.
1: No, it's an absolute pleasure glad to have um connected with you over um over some of that content and um it's
0: good stuff thanks jalal i'll leave you there